Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's Nerder She Wrote, I'm going to check in with Joe Varden, who's currently quarantining in the bubble in Orlando, working on his short game. And then Danny LaRue stops by to recap our Delete 8 series and look ahead at the NBA's comeback. This is Nerder She Wrote. With your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nerder She Wrote on the brand spanking new athletic NBA show. I'm your host, Dave Dufour. I'm going to be joined later on by Seth and Mo and Danny. But first, Joe Varden of The Athletic currently... Uh, quarantine down there uh, with the rest of the the in-house media who are going to be covering the the comeback on the ground. Uh, how are you holding up? I, I know it's probably getting a little lonely. You know what? I'm holding up well, and it's just by and large because of how busy and consuming the assignment has been. And, and people wonder about that, thinking, well, how busy could you be? You're stuck inside of a room for seven days. But I mean, I really, my schedule goes from about 10 in the morning to about nine at night between hopping on all these Zoom calls for uh, each NBA team that's here before or after their practice. Um, the enormous outsides or outside interest in the sort of the, the small group of reporters who are here. Um, so I'm doing a number of interviews every day in which I'm being interviewed. Um, you know, stay in touch with sources, that sort of thing. And then, and then scoop up everything that I've done throughout the day and, and, uh, into a pile and, and write about it. So, um, you know, I really don't feel like the isolation and the boredom, um, cause it's just not there. Uh, but you know, I mean, I'm certainly, uh, jonesing for some real fresh air. I can tell you that much. Yeah. So like the only time you're out of your room is when you're walking to get your test. Is that correct? So we don't even do that anymore. Like, um, you know, when uh, Malika Andrews of ESPN and, and Chris Haynes of, of Yahoo, the, like they, they're on a different schedule than we are because they are here for TV and, and they were oh, both right. supposed Broadcast. to be like on, they were supposed to be out of quarantine in time to film the players arriving. So that that is how it was for them. They had a shorter quarantine period than we did, and they um, they were they were walking from their rooms to the testing site. We get tested at our rooms, so there's no walking. Like you you step outside the door, they swab you. You step back in, like you, you literally go nowhere. Wow! And this is what uh, Rashawn Holmes and Bruno Caboclo are having to deal with, right? Yeah, man. I mean, they are, they both were busted for breaking, you know, major rules and, and the, the, uh, the penalty, if you will. Although I think the NBA would, would, um, they would argue quibble with that, with that word penalty. I mean, it's a safety protocol that, that mm-hmm. if you break quarantine or you break campus, you have to go back into quarantine to ensure that you don't have the virus. But, what that really means is now you're stuck in a room for 10 days and, and that that's happened to both of them. That's rough. Yeah. Well, it seems like at least Rashawn is, is taking it well if we're judging by his social media. Um, and, and it does seem that, that it was not a, an intentional breaching of protocol. If, if I'm correct in that. I think of the two, um, of the two violations, I think his would be more believable to be an accident. 
Um, mm-hmm. just, he, he walked too far to meet a, a food delivery guy. I think there was some, um, miscommunication as to where the delivery was headed and, and Rishon just walked too far. He, he stepped outside of what is considered the campus, which is, um, a hell of a price to pay <laughs> 10 yeah. more days in a room. So, uh, I'm going to I'm going to start calling the series that you're writing over at the Athletic the Bubble Diaries. All right. Um, yeah, because I I was reading it this morning ahead of ahead of our call and I was fascinated by the putting in your room. Did you bring your own putter and golf ball or did they provide you with one? Yeah, I brought my clubs because, you know, I'm going to be here for at least 2 months and um basically they had told us that so long as there is room throughout the day once we break quarantine um, for tea times that, that are not being taken up by the players and coaches that we would have access to it. And mm-hmm. golfing at Disney is a bucket list item for me, frankly. I have world-class um, courses here and I've never gotten a chance to do it. So I was definitely going to do that. Um, and then in the meantime, you know, I, I didn't bring video games and, um, and yes, I just told you how busy I am. I'm so busy. I can't be bothered, (laughs) but you know, at nine o'clock at night, I mean, family back home is kind of shutting it down for the night and I still have time to kill. So yes, I've been hitting some putts they're about 10 feet, uh, from, uh, from where I'm putting it to the cup. And, uh, there's quite a nasty break on this wood floor. Yeah, so you'll be, you'll be ready by the time you're able to get out of that room. And so uh, this is going to release on Friday. So you've got a, a couple of days left, hoping that this is over on Monday. Is that is that the plan? It could be as early as Sunday. I think, I mean, th- there are a couple of like unknowns here. I think what the real thing is, you have to have seven negative tests. And so far, mm-hmm. I have four. Um, obviously, they have to all be consecutive. And so the seventh one, you'd get it back on Sunday. And then they had mentioned something about switching us into new rooms after quarantine is over, which would make sense to do on Sunday. Um, so we could all go to practice on Monday. That would be, that would make sense to me, but it, this could go a different way. It could be that you have to sit there, uh, sitting in our rooms until Monday morning. So somewhere in there, Sunday, Monday, figured out. Uh, how is the testing? I mean, this is the long swab up the nose and the throat is that is that the testing protocol that they're following so it's not the brain toucher okay it, it is the um it, they 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 stick it in the back of your throat and uh and and they swab the whole side so so right left center and then they go up each nostril but not very far um i i will notice that it's feeling more uncomfortable as the days go on so i don't know if there's some wear and tear up there in my nose or if they were like the, the testing guys did say that there had been some complaints back at the lab that they weren't getting enough samples, like an, mm-hmm. enough out of each sample occasionally. Um, so they're, I think they're being, they're applying a little bit more pressure than they were on Sunday. So, but it's still, I mean, you know, as long as you, the brain toucher is the one that really stinks. And so we don't have to do that. Well, that's good. Uh, is, has the turnaround been pretty fast as far as the results go? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's 12 to 15 hours. I think the thing that they did that, that is nice is they moved up our testing time to three o'clock. So now when you wake up in the morning, you're the email saying that you're negative is waiting for you. Um, the first couple of days, the test took place late at night. So you had a considerable amount of time the next day waiting for that test to come back. So, 
um, this is better. So uh, do you have a balcony? Hell no. In your room? No. No? <laughs> no. Like, I mean, it's 300 square feet. You know, it's a double, it's a double, you know, there's two queen beds. There's no couch. There's no, there's nothing like that. Now, you know, most Disney hotels, not all of them, but most of them are set up like motels. So, so at least I have a view of, of the outside from my window. Like, and I'm, my view is actually the pool, which isn't bad. You know, there's some palm trees I can look at. And, um, you know, when I open the door to get my food or when I step outside to get that swab, like I will go and, and, you know, stretch and like maybe hang over the balcony um, or the, the railing, excuse me, mm-hmm. for a second, just to, you know, kind of take it in for a minute before I go back into the air conditioning. Um, but yeah, at least, so, so the view, I guess the view could be worse. Uh, there were, there was a lot of controversy, uh, on social media as there tends to be about the food for the players. Now I, I made the argument because I've eaten at all of the places. Um, the food there's really good. Mm-hmm. It's just that when it comes packaged in the boxes like that it doesn't look that great how have you found the food to be well you just hit it dave it's it the food has an aesthetic problem it it doesn't photograph well and and there there are two reasons for that one they have to make sure they don't give you coronavirus when they serve your food so it has to be specially wrapped and there and and you have to be eating things that can be stored um in, in these, these containers. So, you know, salads and chopped fruit and, you know, when they're making you a sandwich or whatever, they, there's a certain way they got to wrap it and, and just all that stuff like kind of makes the food look not great on a camera. Um, and then the second thing is, is, well, along with that, you can't eat on a plate. You can't have uh, steel forks and knives because that's all ways to transmit the virus. So you, all of all of those, the cutlery is plastic and it's wrapped and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is to do this cleanly, they also want to be environmentally conscious. So all of the stuff that they're putting this in is recyclable or bio, biodegradable, which is even flimsier. Uh, than like styrofoam and 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 doesn't hold like grease well and so like the the hot entrees um doesn't sit well over time and so then when you open it up like the food's tossed all over the place and and some of the grease has gotten to the bottom of the of the container and just it doesn't look nearly as good as it tastes well i uh i found the diary this morning fascinating I have been watching all of your bubble videos uh, on the athletic <laughs> Instagram and Twitter. Um, you know, keep it up, keep it coming, and uh, look forward to you getting out of your hotel room. I'm really excited for you to do that. <laughs> that makes me feel good. That's two of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much. Take care, buddy. All right. Thanks for having me. Guys, smelling good is important. Hawthorne smells really good. Getting Hawthorne cologne is super easy. Go to hawthornewithane.co, take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne will tell you the two colognes that work best for you, one for work and one for play. I took the quiz. They sent me some very nice body wash and deodorant that actually smells good. It's totally risk-free, free shipping, and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co 
and use our promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne with an E dot C-O. Use our promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Mo, Seth, and Danny LaRue are here. First appearance for Danny LaRue on Nerdershe Wrote. Welcome to the show. Actually, Danny, you know, this is the first time we've ever podcasted together. I believe that's true, yeah. Which makes absolutely no sense to me. It's it's very weird, especially because the first time we hung out, we spent three hours in a car in traffic together alone. And I think that's when Danny realized he never wants to podcast. He was like, I got to avoid this guy. That was his limit. And then I got leveraged by an employer, and now here we are. (laughs) There it is. That's exactly it. Um, All right. So, Danny, Seth, we we finished the Delete 8. The Pistons piece dropped yesterday. Um, How do we feel about it, Danny? Like, any of these teams besides the Warriors have any sort of – I guess the Hawks, there's some hope. Um, Any of those other teams have, have real hope for next season to you? For next season, I think it's probably a little bit dicey. I mean, Minnesota, there's like the idea that maybe the theory of it works out that like I, I don't think any of any of us expect that to happen. But, you know, maybe there's more maybe if they're really good offense, then they're OK enough defensively. But, yeah, I would say the Haw- the Hawks are number two behind the Warriors just because we haven't gotten to see their team together. And they also have the ability to improve more than some of the other teams because of the cap space. And it looks like they're probably going to have a good draft pick. So, you know, the the Timberwolves are really interesting to me because if you had asked maybe two years ago, three years ago, what team had the best young core, they are at the top of everyone's mind. Absolutely. Because of Carl Anthony Towns. It's And that's changed. Like the West, I don't think that they have any path to the playoffs in the next couple of years. I think they have a path to like the seven or eight seed, you know, like uh, granted we, th- I, I think I've been looking at this working on both the delete eight stuff and my own off season previews that I think the path is going to be tough in the West. There are a lot of good teams that are coming up and a lot of teams that are staying up. But I, I think that if they're, elite, let's say they're top five offensively some year, the shots fall more than we expect and everything else, then you can squeeze in. Like that's just something that can happen, especially if you stay healthy. But uh, so I'm not going to say no chance, but I'm going to say I wouldn't expect it. That's for sure. I, I agree that the, it's less about the quality of the Timberwolves per se uh, mm-hmm. than it is just that there's so many, you know, there's there's so many places they have to jump, so many teams they have to pass. Right. The one team, given that the East is obviously an easier road, um, I know we were all somewhat skeptical, but just from a a you know a, a theory of a team would be the Bulls. Sure, um, I think I think of the rest of these teams, they have the most talent slash potential around now by a decent margin of kind of the the the, the non Warriors, non Hawks teams. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, they've at least got a guy that can score, right? And I'm pissed that I let Seth go first because he stole my my team. Uh, that was kind of a rubbish thing. But you know, I think across the board, like when you look at the West, just think about how many teams are potentially in the playing game, right? Like that's what makes it so tough for Minnesota. Then well, when, you- sorry, but I was going to jump in, and you think about how those teams had rough goes of it. So you know, you, you, so it's not like okay. Portland finished eight games under 500, but they were also missing one of their best players, another important player. New Orleans never really was healthy this whole year. Sacramento piecing it together like those. They got more teams in and there are a lot of teams that we expect to be meaningfully better next year. And I don't know how many teams are going to drop in the West next year, you know, and 
in that mix as well. So there's just a whole lot of stuff there from Minnesota. I like Chicago. I'm not with you guys on the Atlanta. I just think Atlanta's still two years away before they're sniffing the playoffs. Like I just don't buy into their just how atrociously bad they were on defense unless they're signing Kawhi Leonard. I just don't see them getting better defensively. So I just I, I just think that when you have like they have at least the potential for a big time offense next year. And certainly they, they've got some pieces to add. The eighth seed is not out of question out of the question for them next year. The bar just isn't is not nearly as high for them. And you I mean, I don't totally agree. I think you you get Clint Capella in there. I mean, that that will help their defense. I don't think he's certainly not good enough to make them a good defense, but having someone actually able to uh, both defend credibly when mistakes are made on the perimeter and with Trey Young as a point of attack defender, the mistakes will be made on the perimeter, uh, but also can contribute meaningfully on offense. I think that assuming he's he's healthy and close to the player we, we saw in some of his better Houston days, I think that's a meaningful upgrade for them at, 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 on both ends of the floor. Um, and, you know, does that get them past Brooklyn or Orlando? If I had to bet on it would i would say less likely than than to, to not have or less likely to happen than not happen but it's i, I wouldn't but, say they don't have a chance but you look at it this way though too i think washington's going to be better when they get john wall mm-hmm. sure. i think brooklyn's going to be better when they get kd i mean 50 percent of kd is still better than most of the league so i i think that it's just even there it's still a tough road to climb like how many teams out of the east do you really think are going to jump out you know indiana i don't think is going to drop out unless they make some trades and decide to start tanking which would be weird you know philly i think still going to be there boston still going to be there like it's just not there's not enough orlando's probably the one team that's really at risk of not making the playoffs next year and i don't even know if that's the case so i don't know if these teams really have that much of a shot at it well two, two things one the other big part for the hawks is they were abysmal when Trey Young was off the floor using that as a proxy, they were outscored by, I think it was like 13, around 13 points per 100 possessions. And they had a an offense worse than a point per possession in those minutes. They, the, the pre-Teague minutes were even worse. Some of it was just figuring that stuff out. But I think Mo's right on the substance. I think that they're... You could just the, stop the, there. You could just stop there. Yeah. Mo's right. We're done. That's at the top of the East. But End here's of the, the podcast, thing. guys. It was good talking to you this week. But there are always teams that get hurt. There are always teams that deal with something. So I think that you... The ninth, let's say the ninth best team makes it in a lot because somebody in the top eight is going to deal with like what Portland did this year or or the Warriors did this year, and that that will open up a slot. I think that the injury angle to this is interesting, and this is where a team like Atlanta they need just need to be poised to take advantage of that next year. Like they just need to be in position to potentially make the playoffs. I don't think anyone should have any realistic expectations of this team for two years, probably, and, and really three for a real competitive playoff run. Like, there's no reason that anyone should think this team will win a playoff series in the next two years. I just can't imagine. Yeah, no, I mean that's what I said. <laughs> They're yeah. still two yeah. years yeah. away like, from really stiff. But, no, no, but it's not. But they should be more competitive next year. Uh, the, you know, obviously the defensive issues are. are present the offensive issues it at least looks like there are quicker fixes because they were a bottom six offense this year um there at least there's a path to a good offense there somewhere Clint Capella is going to help him a lot on both ends 
Yeah, and, and hopefully having John Collins for a higher proportion of the season. Remember, that suspension was part of what derailed the Hawks this year. And then not only is that you lose John Collins, who was a good basketball player on a team that wasn't exactly chock full of them, but also that slides everybody else in the rotation. Something I talk about a lot with injuries is you're not only replacing the starter, you're replacing the backup who is now a starter. And I think the Hawks ran into some real problems there. And Schlenk had this this challenge this is something I, I brought up in i think both the the delete eight piece and then it's going to be in my solo offseason preview is that they went for this kind of youth movement but also had some expectations of success and when your young guys need time then those run against each other and i think that created some of the challenges for atlanta last year i'm moving on from which teams have a chance to kind of progress next year. I think one of the things we saw in doing these pieces is how similar a spot a lot of these other teams are and how, you know, we're talking about maybe three of the eight teams have quote unquote hope for next year. Um, and how, I don't want to say dire, but just how lengthy a road it's going to be for some of those other teams. Um, and that's partially a function of teams starting from a pretty poor asset base and also, from you know this draft not being great, this summer's free agency class not being great, uh, uh, would you agree that that uh, that kind of the Knicks, the Hornets, uh, Pistons, they're, they're all kind of in that that sort of morass? Is this where I start to talk about why I'm terrified the Knicks are going to trade for Chris Paul? Because oh, that seems like ooh, can't wait for that. <laughs> like that just it it just. The not only the combination of one team, like I, I wrote a piece for the athletic, I think that was in June, and it was kind of on the I, I did it on the background of like Scott Perry being in the front office, not being the key decision maker for all these kind of teams that had short term decisions. And it's like, oh god, and the Knicks, while Leon Rose just got the job, that's just what they are, like that's been one of their biggest flaws. And you juxtapose that with. Sam Presti, who could easily, you know, try to run this back, re-sign Gallinari and do all that. But if Presti sees the 2021 draft class, he understands the value of having top picks arguably more than any general manager in the league, considering how he built that last great OKC team. And so if he goes, hey, we trade Chris Paul, we're going to create her at exactly the right time just for like a year or two, get a couple of guys, and then we boost up around Shea and whoever else we can get. And so it seems like that perfect storm that we've a lot of us have seen coming of one team. Everybody sees it the same way, but one team is just kind of going at it a different perspective. Yeah, and I see. I, I'm I'm concerned they're going to trade for Lamelo. Well, I, think- I don't I don't know that they can. Like the the Knicks. Like so, the, I, the, that was an interesting thing. I think this came up in in, in our collaborative piece. Is that mm-hmm. I don't think the Knicks have enough ammunition. To move, let's say they get the third or the fourth pick. Now, if it's two, maybe you can get into that conversation, especially if the number one doesn't really want him. But let's even compare to like the Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum trade. They gave up a pick that we all thought was going to be good at the time and ended up being that that Lakers-Kings pick that ended up becoming less valuable. And the Knicks, unless they're willing to move Mitchell Robinson or RJ, they just don't really have anything there. And I don't think they're giving up their own 2021 pick in that sort of a deal. I think it all just kind of with the Knicks comes down to, and we said it in the pod and everything, who they hire as a coach. You know, if it's Thibodeau, they're they're looking to win now. Thibodeau's not developing young talent. He's not looking to. It's going to be Thibodeau. Then it's then he's they're going to start making moves, and I think that's Danny. Where that's where the 
opportunity is for it to be Chris Paul coming in or, or, or something like that and make some sort of ill-advised move for a guy to just get a name and let's go. And I think that's that's really my concern. But once they hire Thibodeau the way Dave is so confident, I'm going to uh, just kind of hold out hope that they maybe just go the development route because I really would just like to see them take it slow. Well, let's go big picture for a second because I think that what uh, we're, our concern is more – about the Knicks because we know their history and everything else like that. But I could honestly see it from a number of other teams. And remember, I've used the phrase a lot, ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA. And the reason why is that pressure to be better immediately can come whether it's rational or not. And we've seen various general managers kind of try to move, make moves for the job. And like I brought this up um, in, in certain places about Travis Schlenk. Like he's, you know, been with Atlanta now for a few years. They haven't really pushed in the win column yet. So I worry about that maybe from Detroit's perspective, the Knicks, the Bulls, like basically these teams that, hey, we're a long, we're a long way off. So I mean, maybe you exclude the Bulls from that. But if you try to short circuit it, try to try to skip steps, the other big problem is you're weakening your base long term because you're like Chris Paul would help the Knicks win a bunch more games, but then they're not getting the actual good young players unless they draft really well that they're actually going to need for the next step. So you're not just pushing it back for the time Chris Paul's in. You're pushing it back beyond that because then you're going to need to do that hard work. Well, you're robbing from Peter to pay Paul to get the nine seed in the East. Right. Do you disagree? That, that no, that's a, that's that's a, that's you're, you're you're not a dad, so you can't be making those kind of jokes, Dave. Oh, oh, oh no, but it was so poetic, Seth. Why are you mad at him? It kind of just he and he and it flowed perfectly. Good job. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, oh, thanks. So, is there any justifiable expense that you could come up? Like, I, let's just say they're they're hell bent. They want to trade for Chris Paul, which, by the way, Chris Paul's still a good player. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's old, and I don't know if he can hold up to a whole season under you know Tom Thibodeau. Uh, but is there is if they could if they could get Chris Paul without giving up a good young player, maybe they I don't know, a couple seconds. I, I like how does this even work? I don't know how they make it how they make it work so that it it isn't an awful move. Who are these good young players we speak of? <laughs> the Knicks. Oh, man. I mean, that's I guess is, they have is two, Kevin Knox's right? jump shot too pretty to go to OKC or is it unsuccessful enough to actually fit in OKC? <laughs> He doesn't defend well enough for it to be that ugly, though. That's the that's the problem. Like, if he was a better defender, I'd say, man, it's a match made in heaven. I, I just – I don't know how they could even make a trade for Chris Paul, but in particular, one that they feel is worthwhile for them from an asset Well, it, it depends on what Sam Presti is looking for because – I mean, I think all th- all four of us see Chris Paul's contract as a negative value one because it's just so much money. Like Chris Paul was a wonderful player this year. I mean, I, I can't remember mm-hmm. if I ever if I put him on my final All NBA team, but I at least considered it. And yeah, he's on mine. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I'd have to go back and look. But and but that player making you know thirty million plus when he was healthy this year, but we know the concerns there. And I, I so I, but if Presty sees the writing on the wall and says. Hey, like even if even if it's you know get, to getting teams bad salaries or something else, I can do something with this with this financial flexibility. It also might be depending on how they structure a Chris Paul trade, a gigantic trade exception. That's another way OKC could do it. Then may, maybe he trades him for as a negative value contract or close to it. Then the Knicks are still making a mistake, but it's a smaller one. However, that just doesn't feel like the way it's going to happen. I, I'm here for Chris Paul 
limping the Knicks to the eight seed and and being swept in the first round by by the Bucks. They're not getting the eight seed. But yeah. All right. Well, that's no, enough then, of the then you get eight. the Chris Paul Eric Bledsoe show. That would actually be pretty fun. That would be fun. Uh, all right. That's enough of the Delete Eight. Let, let's look ahead to, I guess, let's look at the rest of the regular season that we're about to see. Uh, Danny, we've talked a lot about how bad we expect the basketball to be. Now, I am, I'm, I really think that the defensive side of the ball is going to be a lot worse than the offensive side. I just think that the communications, the rotations, and all that stuff is going to be, um, you know, as we see in the beginning of a lot of regular seasons, they're going to be behind. My one concern, a lot of these guys didn't shoot the basketball at all during their downtime. I'll, I'll jump in there just quickly, Dave. That's from a from a metric standpoint, that is completely opposite what we normally see in a regular season. Interesting. Because my when, when I watch those games, I see a lot of late rotations early on in the season. That may be, but I think it is, some of it is the timing of offense probably takes a little bit more, whereas you can kind of – almost effort your way to plausible defense. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the mechanism is, is, is kind of unclear. Part of it is also, uh, I think it, there's, there's some kind of fatigue and, and focus issues that kind of drift in as the season goes, but it's a demonstrable thing year after year that offense starts slow and steadily in, increases basically kind of throughout the year. And then you see a similar effect coming out of the all-star break where offense starts down and kind of ramps back up. So I'm in addition to kind of what you're talking about with kind of there, there may be a little bit of a, of a lack of kind of shooting going on uh, just from, from, you know, kind of the, the shortened window here. Uh, There's also just the general like flow that might be a little bit lacking in kind of the, the, these, what are seeding games, I guess we're calling them. Yeah. But like the, the rhythm thing is so important and the flow that you just kind of referred to Seth, because that's always something I look at going into the all-star break and who's going to be able to kind of recapture that quickly afterwards. Like there's always a team that comes into the all-star break red hot on fire. Soon as they come out, it's like they've never played on the court again. You know, like those guys don't know each other all of a sudden. It takes four or five games to find that that system again and that that rhythm. And that it's kind of like a music and just getting on the same page. It just takes them that much longer sometimes. It's kind of crazy. And that's really what I'm going to just look for is who has the continuity, you know, going into it. I think teams like the Clippers who've been struggling to find continuity all year, like this thing kind of breaking up a little bit you know, hurts them. I think the Lakers who have had it all year, it'll be interesting to see if they've just able to maintain it. I think that's really what I'm watching more than just the numbers of how well they shoot, how well do they defend? It's just, you know, how well did they get good shots and so on. Well, Mo, something I was thinking about along those lines, you brought up the Clippers and I think they're, they're an interesting one here because I was thinking about the teams where continuity matters less. Like if you have dominant individual talent and you could just, those guys can just get it. Like Kawhi Leonard, if he gets to a shot, Okay, you, you can you can make that work, and so I my theory, my pet theory is that those teams that don't need continuity in the first place will actually do pretty well because they, especially if they rely on talent. Whereas the teams that right. need that rhythm, that, that 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 like that's the key to them succeeding. Like you could think about numerous offenses in that respect. I think they could be in more trouble because that's their only path or their primary path. So we're all in the same kind of on the same page. We expect Dallas, Houston. LA and, and Milwaukee to have the easiest time getting back into a rhythm offensively. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah. Um, the teams that I'm more worried about, 
you know, the Nuggets, although uh, uh, Malone said uh, that they're going to try to do more read and react than they than they typically do, which I think is going to be good for them. Uh, but Boston, where they don't have, you know, that that drink stirrer, as Seth likes to likes to refer to him as, they don't really have that guy that that's going to go out and create for other people. Their offense just doesn't function that way. Right. I'm worried about Utah from kind of the same perspective that their, you know, their team is a little bit more in flux and I'm wondering how it's going to piece, how, how there is going to piece together. And remember, one of their best offensive players is not going to be with them the entire time. Yeah. Utah is sort of my, the, the team that I, I think could get that first round upset. I mean, although it's going to be a four or five game most likely, so it's not that big of an upset, but yeah, I am, I, I'm more worried about their offense, but you got Rudy Gobert. Oh, but you, no, but you're losing Bogdanovich. Like, I, I wonder how big of a hit that's going to be for them. And they're going to put in, like, what, Royce O'Neal on the court? So that's another guy that's not as – I mean, replacing 20-something points a night from Bogdanovich is going to be really tough for this team. So it's not an upset to me, even if they have the higher seed, even if they're the four or three seed. Like, that's the team I would target if I'm one of these lower seeds going, like, I just want to make sure I get them in the first round. That's what I'm. That's how I'm going to play this. Yeah, Donovan. I mean, their their offense becomes very Donovan Mitchell centric in that environment, and it's a little bit unfair given that it's been his first two years. But he has not been an efficient offensive player by any stretch, really, in the series they've lost his his first two years. And people, we've talked about this before, but people like to say, "Well, the playoffs show that Rudy Gobert, blah blah blah," and it's actually their defense has generally been fine in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they've struggled to create good shots. That's why they went and got Mike Conley. That didn't work perfectly from most of the year, um, and it's just a question again of without uh, Bogdanovich now, if uh, if going like Mitchell Hero Ball, how far that gets him, and and so far in his career, the answer is not that far. Well, yeah, I think. All right, that's- Qu- question Go for ahead. the. Go ahead. Go, no, well, go that, ahead. That's Dan. the other underrated part of like why Houston was such a bad matchup for Utah is that Houston turned Utah into an ISO team, and they're just not a great ISO team. All right. Question for the group: What's the who's the biggest wild card in this weird situation? Who's the guy that could catch fire, and all of a sudden their team actually has a, a puncher's chance? And, and maybe it's just a team that we expect to lose in the first round that that winds up winning that series. Is there any uh, anyone that stands out to you guys that could really thrive in this environment? I mean, the obvious answer is New Orleans. Uh, obviously, the the news that that came out that that Zion has has left the bubble to deal with a, a family matter, and we don't have any more information than that, uh, kind of puts a puts a wrinkle in that. But they're they're a team that that you know he was good enough in the time he played that they are obviously better than their full season kind of metrics would suggest. Uh, and and you know in a playoff setting, having the best player on the floor equity that that he even as a rookie gives them um, makes them uh, I, I think would would pretty solidly put them in that category. Oh, I'm going Luca, Luca and Dallas. Let's have some fun with it, guys. I think you know Luca has that chance to explode. I think it's not beyond. I think he can win them a playoff series, but I don't think they'll go past the second round if they do. But I think he just has that ability to really kind of take over, get hot. Once he gets going, it's tough to stop him. He's got a lot going on in that situation. It all comes he's healthy. healthy the whole thing. Like, you know, Chris Paps Porzingis had a hell of a year. I think that kind of gets overlooked a lot with how good Luca was. 
But Porzingis was great, was really solid as a rim protector, was able to continue to spread the floor. Just don't post him up. We all know how Rick Carlisle feels about that. But that's the team I'm looking at that I think can maybe shake some things up. Luca would be my number one as well, but I want to mention somebody else. Like we've we've talked about a little bit the the shortened you know the shortened burst here, and Harden is an obvious one to bring up there. But the other one for me is Joel Embiid. If Joel Embiid can be 100% Joel Embiid for three four weeks, I think that could potentially change a couple things in the Eastern Conference. And I'm not saying they're going to beat the Bucks or anything crazy like that, but he can be for a game or two or anything else. I mean, remember how great he was at moments in the playoffs last year, not the overall. And I, I think that this spurt will will help Harden because you haven't haven't had the wear, and I think it will help Embiid too. All right, I'm going Nikola Jokic. I think that this time off, I mean, he looks he looks great. Clearly has been staying in 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 the gym, working out. If he can, will be aggressive the entire time. If he doesn't do that thing that he likes to do, where it's like he takes three shots until five minutes left in the game, and he then tries to drag him out of a little hole. If he just comes out every single game and is aggressive, getting his shot. Other shots, you know, shots for other people are going to come. Uh, but I think if he's aggressive, he can put that team on his back. But that's like his he's nature. Like that's brilliant in the post. That's what scares I know. me. And then the other thing. He has to buck that but trend. the other thing too, Dave, like because you just said it. He's brilliant in the post. How much of that weight loss is going to affect him? I know everybody's we, – we all fawned over it like, wow, he's lost a – I don't think he's that skinny. But, what, he's a lot skinnier than he was though before. He, he's and in you shape. Lose, and you're going to lose some of that. And I think there's – a risk to that in the post. I think that's where it kind of hurts you when you lose that weight. So, you know, I'm not sure. I want to see him a couple of times, see how effective he is in the post before I'm going to start throwing it around. You know, I'm a little bit concerned about the weight loss. All right. Well, uh, as we wrap up, we've got a little statistical PSA from our very own Seth part now, because, uh, he was the old man yelling at the cloud, although he was on vacation. So he was really just texting me and Mo. Because he wasn't, he wasn't actually yelling uh, at anyone in particular. So we've all kind of been away from from basketball for a little bit, and and we're kind of ramping back up here. And naturally, people are are trying to get their bearings, and uh, a big way people do that is is diving into the stats. And I just want to uh, encourage people to use use the use stats, especially more advanced stats, uh, judiciously. Um, there's a lot of numbers out there. It's kind of hard to know which ones you should rely on and which ones you shouldn't. So I just kind of had three quick rules to to live by as you're kind of reacclimatizing, uh, trying to figure out what's going on through a statistical lens. Uh, the first one is just always be aware of confirmation bias. Um, if you come across a stat and the reason's like, "Ooh, that looks interesting," because it has your guy first overall. Um, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean your favorite player is bad. It just means that you are more susceptible to just buy that whole hog. Um, and, and this is when Dave and I were talking about this. Uh, we kind of uh, – there was a stat that came up and he's like, oh, that looks pretty good to me. Um, that's a bad way of evaluating whether the metric is good or not. OK. I only care if it makes my opinion look right. Yeah, that's wrong. Don't do that. that that's what matters. Do uh, Danny, and anything? Oh, you're not no, done. That was, that, right, that, was, that, was, that was rule number one. This, this is why clouds to yell at. This is, yeah, this is why does. Dave's no, tough, to, tough to deal with. He doesn't listen to all the rules. He just listens to the first yeah, one I'm and goes. i trying to get him moving. <laughs> uh, rule number two is is sort of make sure you have an understanding of, of what the stat is measuring. 
Um, if if the purveyor of the stat doesn't tell you and just kind of throws a number out there context-free and there's no easy way to find it on the internet, again, it's not saying it's wrong, but be very careful uh, because the way these numbers come out is very uh, dependent on the question asked. And that leads me into rule number three, which is uh, make sure you're using the right stat for what you want to analyze. Uh, we've talked about you know three-point shot shooting as a, as a function of both volume and accuracy. So you're not going to find who the best three-point shooter in the NBA is by sorting by three-point percentage as a simple example. Um, so just be very, very cognizant of what you're actually trying to look up uh, and cross-reference that, I guess, with what each stat is measuring and go from there. And, you know, there's plenty of people on, on Twitter who will have uh, informed opinions about uh, which stats are good for different things. So don't be afraid to ask. But I'm just I, – I would like people to exercise some care because these are some muscles that have not been exercised in uh, three or four months. Otherwise, he's going to come after you. I did not say that. Yes, you did. That's just you two – you guys. He's in, sending in the cat after messages. you. <laughs> Uh, so Danny, uh, as, as we, as we close, uh, what thing are you looking forward to most from that first week of games? I mean, just getting a basic look of how the hiatus treated everyone. I mean, the, if, if, one thing that this did, I've used the word like on real jam radio, a lot of variance, this added a ridiculous amount of variance because what, what players had were doing in their time, whether they had to take care of kids, whether they were eating right, whether they were had a basketball in their hands. We we've seen we're just getting a lot of variants thrown in the mix, and we're getting inklings of information when you see guys walk into the gym or little little pieces of intel. But it's kind of like training camp again, except that we didn't just go through a summer where everybody had the chance to take care of themselves. So I'm really interested in those basic questions, especially for the teams that matter most. So the top end title contenders who don't need to be there right away, but they're going to need their players soon. Guys, we got scrimmages next week. Are you going to watch them? Yes. <laughs> There's basketball on. Of course I'm going to watch yeah. it. What are, you, what are you talking about? My body is ready. I'm ready. Well, Danny, thanks for stopping in on Nerder She Wrote this week. And uh, Mo and Seth, as always. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. And we'll be back with more Nerder She Wrote on the Athletic NBA Show. Mm-hmm.